0: Good morning and happy Friday. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent, Jonathan Carl, And
1: I'm ABC News Political Director, Rick Klein. I'm
0: coming to you via Skype from California, which is a little bit like ground zero right now for this campaign. Coming up on today's show, we have James Zogby, a prominent supporter of Bernie Sanders, who's just been named to the platform committee at the Democratic National Convention, which will be ground zero for Bernie Sanders' effort to remake the Democratic Party. We'll also be talking to Congressman Luis Gutierrez who is also on that committee and, of course, is a supporter of Hillary Clinton. And finally, we will get a first look at the new documentary, Wiener. Rick, you caught up with the makers of that new film.
1: I did, and it is fascinating. I've seen a lot of political documentaries over the years, but they got inside access to the unraveling of the Wiener for Mayor campaign, a lot of Huma Abedin as well in that. So some Hillary Clinton folks watching it with with, uh, some discomfort.
0: With some dread, I think is the way you uh, you might want to say. <laughs> so that's all ahead in the podcast. But first, this is actually a really big week in American politics because we just got news as we're coming on the air that Donald Trump has gotten the magic number; he has surpassed twelve hundred and thirty-seven delegates, has now clinched the Republican nomination for president.
1: What a day. I mean, Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee. But but John, so much of the story now is we know who the nominees will be. Hillary Clinton, of course, sweating it to the end to get there. But she is all but inevitable. She'll clinch it by the end of this thing. It's very hard to see that not happening. But both she and Donald Trump are having a rough go of it. What a week for Donald Trump. So you get that headline. But layer on top of that... The, the news that he has ousted his uh, new political director after only six weeks on the job, Rick Wiley, Rick Wiley gone. gone, out of there. Uh, he's got the uh, on a Jimmy Kimmel interview. He went out and said, uh, are you full of S? And he said, yes, he is. He also admitted to using an alias in interviews in that interview. Um, in addition to that, you have the Paul Ryan weirdness uh, where it looked like he might endorse, but of course he's not endorsing. He insulted the governor of New Mexico, Susana Martinez, for no apparent reason. And just now his campaign chairman is saying, we're not going to consider any women or minorities for vice president because that would be
0: pandering. <laughs> and, you know, look, he has just clinched. Why do you have to bring up all this bad stuff? Rick? <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, he's it, it's all coming together. But but it is remarkable. Of course, Hillary Clinton, as she is limping her way towards clinching the Democratic nomination, has also had a, a horrendous uh, week. You had a, this uh, inspector general report on her email practices that makes it clear that much of what she has been saying about uh, about her emails is actually not true. In fact, it's quite clear that she, at the very least, violated State Department policy at the time uh, that she was Secretary of State. Uh, she may not of broken any laws. We still have the uh, FBI investigation, which we, we think will be concluding sometime soon. We'll, we'll answer that question. But but even if there were no laws broken, this is a devastating uh, report on her email practices and her credibility and how she's talked about her emails.
1: You're right. And it undercuts so much of the, the messaging that, that she has used around why she used the email account in the first place and why she was Uh, not less than forthcoming in, in releasing those emails and this coming from a inspector general's report. And I think it's gotten to the point, John, where it's not that voters are looking for new information about this. They've already made up their minds about this story. If you look at where she stood when she left the secretary of state, she was one of the most popular figures in the country. That is no longer even close to being true. We're no longer even, we're not even close to that, to saying that anymore. And, and you can draw a line from the, uh, the, the fact that uh, this story broke at the beginning of, of her campaign more than a year and a half ago now uh, to, to where we stand right now. And, and it has been a recurring issue. And now to have it on pen and paper to say that she broke policy is, uh, is damaging.
0: Okay, but but let's go back to the the Trump development, because this was one that I think caught all of us by surprise. I know it sure caught me by surprise to see Rick Wiley uh, leaving the campaign, Uh, a short announcement released by the campaign saying simply, uh, you know, he's done a wonderful job getting us up and uh, up and started. And now we don't need him anymore, basically. Uh, But Rick Wiley was uh, scott walker's campaign manager he's the former political director for the republican national committee when they when he hired him it was a sign that the establishment was going to begin coming around uh, donald trump this was the most experienced hand on on the campaign uh, or 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 maybe you know besides paul manafort but somebody with, with more recent real establishment experience than even manafort and now he's gone so what do we make of this? Why? Why is he suddenly fired?
1: You have to think it's a snake pit of, of a campaign that, that Trump has fostered, and I do think he has fostered it, and he has uh, he has created rivalries inside there that are, you know, every campaign has rivalries, but these are vicious, and you've got these camps, and I think Trump likes it to, to play out that way. So that's why, you know, for any traditional campaign, I think the, the litany that I just read, you'd say, well, this is, this is coming apart at the seams. This may be exactly the chaos that Donald Trump wants internally. This is how you let Trump be Trump. You go out there and you say it, and there's contradictions, and there's infighting, but the, uh, at the end of the day, he is who he is, and he goes and does it, and you don't have to you don't have to overthink it. Uh, and and I think Rick Wiley seems to be a victim of that culture.
0: He is the campaign manager. He is the chief strategist. He has got uh, people on his campaign staff, which, by the way, is still about one fifth the size of Hillary Clinton's campaign. I mean, it's it's a small staff of. Uh, In the last FEC report, less than 100 people working on that campaign. This is a national campaign presumptive nominee. Less than 100 people is astoundingly small uh, campaign staff. But they're at war with each other. We even have uh, the report uh, first from uh, New York Magazine saying that this campaign is now actually going to be on two separate floors in Trump Tower. So you have the, the kind of group surrounding Corey Lewandowski, the original campaign manager, uh, on the fifth floor, and then you have upstairs uh, the group surrounding Paul Manafort. And I'll tell you, Rick, I, you know, you you can you can talk to people uh, in and around that campaign, and and you hear unbelievably open uh, sniping. It, 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 even by the standards of presidential campaigns, which always have you know different struggles with different factions in a campaign, is far beyond anything I've ever seen.
1: That's right. And and I think it, it, it is another level and you do think that Trump has to do it on their own. And then you flip it to the Democrats who you know, we don't have a lot of the infighting inside the Hillary campaign that we saw eight years ago, but you do have this very stubborn dynamic where they have a primary opponent in Bernie Sanders who's not going away, who continues to win states, who is threatening to win California, a new poll out that has him within striking distance in California where the, the largest cache of delegates resides and it's there at the end of the process. That would be an embarrassment at the very least and maybe a lot worse than that for Hillary Clinton to lose the final state of voting.
0: And then in, in, in a sign of uh, a, a real – I mean, again, something that, that I, I've never quite seen you have this whole drama surrounding what is Paul Ryan going to do? We were told, and we're not the only organization that was told this, uh, by senior people in the Trump campaign that Ryan was coming out and he was going to be endorsing Trump. And, you know, we of course, the first thing you do is you go to the Ryan folks and say, what's going on with that? And the answer that we got from the Ryan folks is nothing has changed. We have not indicated that in any way. And, in fact, I think that the idea of a Ryan endorsement took a couple steps back when Trump was out in New Mexico this week, uh, launching into a odd attack on Susanna Martinez, not just the Republican governor of New Mexico, but somebody who is considered one of the rising stars uh, for the party, uh, the most prominent Hispanic woman uh, in the Republican Party. And suddenly uh, Trump is attacking her record as governor of New Mexico and suggesting, you know, joking, maybe I should run for governor of New Mexico. I think that that moved ryan about three steps further away from endorsing donald trump
1: and just the fact that you had trump aides leaking that he was about to endorse him he doesn't need to be pressured on this uh, paul ryan right. still holds some cards here and we know where the movie is going to end we know that, that paul ryan will ultimately endorse donald trump but uh he still Unless has... Trump makes
0: it impossible for him well i, mean... I don't know
1: that it's possible, john I, mean, I think it i think it has to happen because there is no alternative
0: i, I, I just don't... i i agree it's likely to happen but you know he, he needs a little bit of daylight here I mean, you need to have at least a a period of a few days where Trump doesn't say something <laughs> that uh, that is off the rails.
1: <laughs> at least one news cycle, I think. I think. You're at right. least
0: one news cycle, right? That's right. I mean, that's right.
1: But no, you're, there, there wasn't a lot that you heard from from Trump today. If you were a Republican that said, "Okay, now we get it," you know, we we're he, he's unifying the party. That's the thing is for all all the talk about party unity, he seems to take that step back and uh, and give the Paul Ryan to the world more reason to doubt.
0: Okay, but I can make an argument, and we're going to take a quick break and come on and talk to uh, James James Zogby uh, shortly about this prominent Bernie Sanders supporter. I can make the argument, Rick, that the party that is actually more divided is actually the other one, the Democratic Party. But we'll talk about that in a second with our guest James Zogby.
1: Hey there, ABC News political director Rick Klein here. Hoping you're enjoying Powerhouse Politics, one of the many podcast offerings from ABC News. Check out the full slate by going to abcnewspodcasts.com.
0: Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. We're joined now by James Zogby, supporter of Bernie Sanders, and now going to have a front row seat on the committee that will decide what the Democratic Party stands for, the platform committee. Mr. Zogby, thanks for joining us. So I want to get a sense from you of what you're going to do with this position and how you want to change the direction of the Democratic Party. Uh, but you know, you, you heard us. Uh, there's so much to talk about—the infighting on the on the Republican side and the way the Republican Party, in many ways, uh, has seemed to be falling apart. But we also had something extraordinary happen on 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 your side, where Bernie Sa- Sanders, uh, who of course you're supporting for president, actually didn't just come out to criticize the chairwoman of the Democratic Party, but is actively supporting the person running against her. For her house seat, uh, I mean, it's, it's uh, further than anything Donald Trump has done in his disputes with, with Ryan's Priebus. He's actually trying to get Debbie Wasserman Schultz out of a job. What did you make of that?
2: Well, and, and then you have the situation of leading senators in the, uh, here in Washington who um, are strong supporters of Hillary Clinton, who have refused to come out with a full-throated endorsement of the, of the chair. Uh, there's a, a controversy here. I, I, I personally think it's a distraction for Senator Sanders, um, and I don't think it was. Uh, uh, it wasn't something I would have done. Uh, but it's out there, and I think, like I said, I mean, you've got uh, uh, everybody from Claire McCaskill to uh, Senator Schumer making making noises or not making noises when noises might have been called for, but. Um you know, it's clear that uh, there have been some disputes going back to the debate schedule, the issue of the victory fund, and how it's being used and and how it got authorized and 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 more recently, um, uh, the 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 issue of the standing committees., uh, so you know it is what it is, but I don't think that there's a, a, a anything near the divisions on the democratic side that currently exist on the republican side their their crisis is existential they've got a candidate uh... who stands for nothing that their party has stood for um, and who stands for nothing one might suggest other than getting himself uh... and his brand uh... uh catapulted into the into the media I, I, I think that there's a real crisis there here there's a debate over issues and the debates are real and uh... Um, and the platform is going to reflect that, and it's going to hopefully uh, help us bridge some of those differences and come up with a consensus document. That would be the goal. That's the goal. So, so let, let's get to those issues. You are now going to be one of the
0: Sanders representatives on that platform committee, mm-hmm. where those debates over the issues will be argued mm-hmm. first and foremost. Mm-hmm. What, what do you want to change about the direction of the Democratic Party? Clearly, Bernie Sanders has earned a right uh... to uh... To, to steer the direction of the party regardless of whether or not he is you know ultimately uh... is able to beat hillary clinton
2: part of the, the the decision i think a critical part of the decision is going to be made by senator sanders himself i mean he's raised all of the issues uh... that are 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 up for debate in the course of this campaign everything from uh... universal health care and free education public education on the, on the university college and university level to um, increasing the minimum wage, uh, et cetera. They're all going to be up for debate. Uh, There is an emerging new consensus. And we find, as commentators have observed, that Secretary Clinton is now reflecting some of that language. Uh, The debate has moved her uh, to uh, to the, the, the more progressive side of politics as well. That's a good thing. The question now is: Let's reflect some of that in the in in the platform. I have uh, co-chaired the resolutions committee in the party now for seven years, I think it is, and um, we've gone through these debates um, in on many issues. And I think it's a healthy thing. It's a healthy thing that not only the candidates debate, but now the the party leaders and and and. Uh, and those elected on the state level and those appointed on the national level will engage in this uh, in this in this discourse. And we will try to craft a consensus document. Um, I don't think anyone is entering this looking for a fight. We're looking for ways to bridge differences and come up with language that says the party isn't where it used to be. the party is moving in this direction. I think it's clear that it is. We just want language
1: that reflects that. So, Dr. Zogby, there's a, a story in the New York Times about the efforts by you and, and Cornell West, who's also going to be on this committee, to particularly to change the language around Israel. What do you need to see in this party platform? Uh, as you referenced, there's been controversy over issues like this. Just four years ago, uh, big, big to do about whether the Democratic Party platform should recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. They ended up keeping it in the la- in the language. Does that go? What kind of changes are you going to be pushing for?
2: Well. Well, number one, we'll have to look at the draft and see what the draft is calling for um, and then work from there. Number two, we're going to have to wait and see what Senator Sanders wants to do as priorities in the campaign. But for myself, um, for myself, I, th- I think that um, as I look at Senator Sanders' speeches on this issue, um, they've been pretty thoughtful and, and very much the direction that I want to point, uh, I, I want to see the platform uh, go in, uh, which is... Not unlike language that Reverend Jackson uh, called for back in the 80s, which essentially said that a- at the core, this is about Israeli needs and Palestinian needs, which were two sides of the same coin, and that both had to be acknowledged and dealt with. That's the core of the Jackson message back then. It's the core of the Sanders message today. Um, issues that Reverend Jackson raised in 88 finally got accepted by the party 20 years later. We've lagged behind on this issue, and I think we need to catch up. Um, There is no reason why um, our platform can't be more balanced as Democrats in public opinion polling want us to be more balanced. And so can we find consensus language? Absolutely. Now, there are going to be those outside of the process, and some of them were quoted in the New York Times. uh, who say, no, you can't change a word. It's got to stay what it is or the sky will fall. The sky's not going to fall. Uh, we 're going to be able to do it um, if there 's goodwill, and I believe there is we 'll be able to to figure out language to make this work that will reflect new realities not only in the Middle East but reflect new realities here in public opinion, which is increasingly saying Palestinians aren 't getting a fair deal. This is not a good thing. American policy needs to be more even handed now, as for the comment in the New York Times that said we 're not going to litigate the arab Israeli conflict on the platform. My response is, you know, they don't want to litigate unless they want to litigate. Um, And and frankly, the platform did a smart thing in 2012 by leaving this language about Jerusalem out, which essentially is litigating. It's sort of predetermining one of the most critical issues in this conflict Um, and saying this is what's going to be and don't even bother negotiating it because we've already decided it. That's not a smart move. And what was a doubly not smart move was then going to the convention after the language was there and trying to roll over the the, 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 the convention delegates who said no three times and put it in the platform anyway. Uh, that was not an especially... Uh, crafty way of handling uh what what is a very sensitive issue. Not only sensitive to the Arab and Israeli conflict, but sensitive obviously here in the country. And and you know, I was asked the next day multiple questions by reporters and I said, you know, what a bonehead move. I mean, we should be talking today about Bill Clinton's speech. We should be talking today about Sister Simone's speech. Instead we're talking about this. Because some people wouldn't leave well enough alone. I mean that that's the kind of thing that hopefully we'll be able to avoid this time. And I think I think we can. I mean, I think there's a sense that we've gotten Donald Trump a very dangerous opponent. We need all hands on deck. And one of the ways of getting all hands on deck is coming up with consensus language that works.
1: But, Dr. Sogbi, why would you want to have in the platform language that isn't supported by the Democratic nominee in Hillary Clinton? I mean, you're talking about changing... U.S. foreign policy, but also changing the policy, the stated intentions of the of the current president and of the would be successor. We're not
2: talking about changing uh, the, 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 the language of, of of U.S. policy. U.S. policy is not to recognize Jerusalem as the undivided capital of Israel. No president has ever done it. Although they've said it during their campaigns, they don't do it. And you know, frankly, that that's that's pretty clear. Number one. Number two. Um but wait listen, listen, listen to what Barack reads. Obama said but in was... his Cairo speech listen yes. to what he said in his Jerusalem speech listen to what he said in the state department speech in 2011 uh Senator Sanders is not far off base in, in, in the language that he's using and so the the issue here is not uh you know, that it's the, the, the it's it's our way or the highway it, 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 Senator Sanders has about 50% of the uh the, the democratic votes to date Secretary Clinton has about 50 percent of the Democratic votes to date. There's a need to reconcile these two wings of the party and come up with consensus language that lets us move forward. This is not a victor-vanquished scenario and should not be seen as such, not only on this issue, but on all of the issues that we're going to be dealing with in 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 the platform. There needs to be a recognition that there are two wings in this Democratic Party, and we need both wings to fly. And I think that that is the approach that we will hopefully take as a committee to say, how do we reconcile differences? How do we bridge the gaps? How do we come up with a consensus document that says that everybody can find a place in this platform?
0: So, and and this is the last question for you. I know you have to go, but but I want to just ask you about your likely nominee here, Hillary Clinton. She has b- built a career known as a staunch supporter of the state of Israel. Do you believe that her approach to the Israeli-Palestinian issue has got to change and will change given the, what you just said about how reflecting changes in public opinion here in the United States and changes uh, you see in
2: the Middle East. Th- does she have to the move on this very- issue? first president to ever come and speak to an arab american audience was bill clinton in nineteen ninety eight i hosted the event and as he and i walked out uh... uh... together on the stage there was a massive standing ovation and whoops and yells and uh, i said to the president they love you and he said "No, it's not me they love hillary she called for a palestinian state this week that was when hillary clinton had been the very first um, a public figure in America of some stature. So, so you're uh, satisfied
0: but, with her with her views on on, on this
2: I, issue? I, I think that you said to me she has been a staunch supporter of Israel all of her career, and I say no. Do, there do you, was a Hillary Clinton as first lady, then there was a Hillary Clinton as senator, and now we're talking about a Hillary Clinton as president. And so I think that what I I see an evolving Hillary Clinton, and I would like to see a Hillary Clinton that reflects this new consensus that is emerging. We're not running for office. We're running the country and we're leading uh the world. And so I think that there is a a, a a chance here to pivot uh to a more balanced approach. And frankly it would be in the interest of, of, of the country and I believe in the interest of, of her candidacy. I, I don't think it's a done deal. I mean I'm on the Sanders side of this and believe that, you know, we've got a long way to go. This ain't over till it's over uh... as a famous new yorker once said and uh... and so we're gonna play this out to the end but but if she happens to be the nominee it would be better for her to reflect a position that appeals to the broad swatch of american voters from the the center from the left from the progressive wing of the party and also from independents who are saying we need a more balanced approach to this just like on every other issue that Senator Sanders has raised that has won the support of a significant number of voters, it is better to find consensus language that moves, as she has already done on many issues, moves towards Senator Sanders' position in order to reflect this, this emerging consensus on a whole range of questions. The Middle East is just one of them. And, I, I, you know, like I said, with goodwill and with a smart sense of how we do politics, we can come out of this with a, a document that will say to everybody, this is the new democratic consensus. That's what my hope is.
0: Okay. James Zogby, thank you very much for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Bye. Uh, So, Rick, let's let's move right over to the other side uh, of the democratic divide on, on these issues. Uh, We have on the line Congressman Luis Gutierrez, supporter of Hillary Clinton, and also on that Democratic uh, uh, National Committee uh, convention. Platform Committee, Congressman Gutierrez. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. So what's your sense? Let's just quickly, I've got much to talk to you about, but let's quickly hit this uh, Israeli-Palestinian issue. How, how do you think this is going to play out? Uh, will the democratic platform change on this it's, first on. on, on, let, on me, let me tell you, I, don't, I can't yeah. tell
3: you what the eventual result is going to be. I can tell you what I expect our goals to be and how, how I'm going to proceed. Uh, Keith Ellison is a dear friend of mine whose opinion I respect immensely and with whom I have worked with. I intend to continue to collaborate. I think you guys in the media just got this one wrong. The big winner in the platform committee is the Progressive Caucus. Elijah Comey, Progressive Caucus member. Barbara Lee, Progressive Caucus member. Chairman of the Progressive Caucus. I'm a Progressive Caucus member. I think you should look at where we've been in terms of the Democratic Party. It's almost as though well, if you're with Bernie Sanders, you must be progressive and for change and all the rest of us are just some, I don't know, sellouts to Wall Street and to uh, and to the establishment. That's just not the case. So we're gonna go in there. I wanted to be more reflective. I've got two great girls at home, Jessica and and Omida. And, and those two great girls they, they, they guide me and they inform me about how young people Look at the situation. They um, and I know that they. We have to be fairer and more inclusive, and we have to also maintain a very close relationship with our dear friend and ally, Israel. But does that mean that we cannot be more inclusive? Does that mean we cannot more more reflective of the of the um, of the goals of the ambitions and be reflective in our path of the Palestinian people? I don't think one thing negates the other. Um, I've been to Israel. Most of them, it is that I've met dozens of members of the Knesset who said we need to treat the Palestinian people better. We're for a two-state solution. I work with J Street very, very closely. I didn't go listen to Net- Netanyahu's speech. Um, I thought Netanyahu shouldn't be coming down to the Congress of the United States and speaking to us before an election. I thought it was a political ploy. I don't uh, support um, his policies and what he does and so i think you know i'm gonna look for a democratic party consensus that reflects not the values of activists right that are all of a sudden put on a committee but of the people right across uh... the different um... social economic uh, um, trends in the united states of america i want it to be an american agenda and as you said very very ably this is about marriage equality This is about Planned Parenthood and women's reproductive rights. This is about standing up for immigrants. This is about saying to Muslims, you are welcome in America and our doors are still open to you. Those are many of the things. And, yes, inequality in terms of wages and saying how is it that we take our broken finance system and make it one that people can respect where we take big donors and big money out, all of those things I think should be included in our platform. So there's going to be a lot of points at which I think there's going to be convergence of ideas, and and, and we're going to really I, – I, I think we're going to knock it out the park.
0: All right, so let's get closer to home. We have the California primary coming up, brand-new pullout showing this race is statistically tied. Bernie Sanders, even at this late date, is uh, within striking distance of potentially beating Hillary Clinton in California. If he does it, does that? Does it matter? And, and why, let me, let me just why say is she one having thing. such a hard look, time closing the deal here?
3: Look, yeah, and, and so so Bernie Sanders won the caucus, right? 30,000 people showed up to vote in the caucus. Bernie Sanders won it by a landslide, Washington I'm State, right? I'm talking the California primary, California. And then when 700,000 people California. went to go vote two nights ago, what happened? Hillary won 54 46. Look, Look, for all intents and purposes, here's how you become the nominee of the Democratic Party. You gotta collect the requisite number of delegates. Hillary Clinton is now right 80 delegates away from wrapping it up. There is no political science or any scientist or anybody that has any credibility that believes that Hillary Clinton isn't going to have the numbers of delegates required to become the nominee. She so, I'm the asking, does it matter nominee.
0: if she loses California? Does that make a difference? Is, well, what you look, just said? I'm
3: not, I'm not, I'm not going to go. I, I just, I was campaigning with her with the farm workers, right? Let me tell you why the farm workers are with Hillary Clinton, because in 2007, Hillary Clinton voted for comprehensive immigration reform when Bernie Sanders turned his back on immigrants and went to brag about it on Lou Dobbs' program, and people can check that out on the Internet, because the the Sanders people love to put videos on what people have said. Go check out his video on Lou Dobbs in September of 2007 and how he said that this was all a cabal of Wall Street and trying to uh, make immigrants. So, look, that's why people are for her. That's why Latinos have supported her across this country and why I expect her to be triumphant in California. She's going to win. We all know that the way you put the delegates out there, you're saying that they're neck and neck. Let's say it's 55-45, right? Well, guess what? That means she's going to get, what, 170 delegates? That's 100 more than she needs to wrap up the nomination. So let's be clear. She has the nomination. I was for Barack Obama in 2008. And guess what at this particular point Barack Obama was 97 delegates ahead of her. Ending 97 delegates that was it. Now the super begin to switch towards him as they saw that we that they could not overcome the 97 delegates. Yeah. Here's the other thing I remember about 2008. I remember the sleepless nights after I was so deli- I was so happy Barack Obama won the nomination. He's going to be our nominee. And then I kept hearing about 60% of the Hillary Clinton people were not going to vote for Barack Obama. That scared me. That kept me up at night. But then we came together. I think what has to happen in the end in platform committee and with Bernie Sanders and everybody, we all have to come together. The enemy is Donald Trump, not each other. We have so much in common. And we can do so much good for the American people. I think that's what we need to make a priority. If you look up on the clock on C-SPAN, you're going to see there's six minutes and 10 seconds left. And, you know, I'm 62 years old, so my butt's got to get over there. Let's talk again soon, please. All right. Thank go, you. Go vote,
1: Congressman. Thank you so Thank much for
3: you. being here.
0: Yeah, that, that, that was uh, interesting. He, we're all got to get together. We have a common enemy. But he took a nice shot at Bernie Sanders there, didn't he, on immigration?
1: Oh, he sure did. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, we, we, Invoking
0: we, Lou Dobbs, by the way. Wow. Uh, and, and this is,
1: I mean, here's, here's what, what's hard to square with that is you just heard Dr. Zogby say this is not a Victor vanquished scenario. And they're looking to have a major say over the party platform. But, but the question is why, and would the Hillary folks want to show that kind of, for lack of a better word, weakness and say, look, we won this thing outright, uh, but we're going to let you come in here and roll over us and tell us what the policy should be instead? We should, we're going to let you rewrite the Israel language. We're going to let you say what a federal minimum wage should be. We're going to let you talk about income inequality. I, I think there's a there's a very relevant point here about how the Hillary Clinton's language has changed and evolved and, and adjusted to sound more like Bernie Sanders. But if she's the nominee, she owns the platform. I, it, it, there's no accommodation that you can make that's going to change that. She's going to be held to account for anything that's written in that document. And, and if something breaks with what, sh- what she believes, what she thinks, just because Bernie liked it, that's a really hard thing to figure out.
0: Okay, can I ask you the question I tried to ask him? Do you mind?
1: Oh yeah, please. I can but, play. And, I can and, play the and,
0: and and you can answer it directly, right? Sure. Yes. Okay. You, okay. This is, this is good. We we can play this out. So, does it matter whether or not Hillary Clinton loses the California primary?
1: Oh, heck yeah, it matters. I mean, look, it's the biggest state in the country, and there is an active campaign going on there. I, it's Gutierrez, I think, and a lot of the Hillary supporters kind of want to have it both ways and say, look, she's winning anyway, and it doesn't matter, but by the way, she's going to win. If she doesn't win, the last state, the largest cache of delegates, she, it's not that she loses the nomination, but she goes into the convention in the in weakest possible negotiating stance for internal purposes like the platform and the weakest possible general election stance in terms of showing party unity... Uh, um, the fact that Donald Trump is now formally over the top, declared to be over the top, and have those delegates uh, before Hillary Clinton is astounding for anyone who would have looked at this race and the 17 Republicans that populated the first debate stage last, last August. Uh, so that alone is troublesome. But for her to stumble to the finish line like this, it is not – the same as 2008 it simply isn't and yeah barack obama did lose some down the stretch but to have the biggest state deliver a blow like that at the end would be kind of a, a cry from the progressives that gets back to the issue we talked at the top of the show about the email controversy honesty trustworthiness around hillary clinton that it just she's seen a primary process that has underscored her weaknesses at almost every stage and i think to end it that way would be damaging
0: Here's, here's one you can use uh, next time you need a good trivia question. Uh, Barack Obama clinched the Democratic nomination in 2008, the day that he lost the South, Carol, the South Dakota primary. So he loses the South Dakota primary, but because of the proportional uh, system, he gets enough delegates to put him over the top. But I would have to agree with you, losing South Dakota is a little different <laughs> than losing— California on the last day of voting. Uh, and, what, and what other point, John, the,
1: the the policy differences in 2008 were minimal, minuscule compared to what Bernie Sanders and and Hillary Clinton have. And I'm not equating that to the D versus R divide. But when when Zogby and Gutierrez talk about the the real split in terms of ideology in the Democratic Party, there are wings of the Democratic Party. Obama and Clinton kind of were from the same wing. Take a take side – and they both disagreed with the war. You take aside the war vote, you had almost nothing that, uh, that was an actual policy that was a difference between the two of them. They, they've chased each other on that. Bernie Sanders has much different ideas about what he wants to do in terms of policy than Hillary Clinton does. And you have people that come to the convention in Philadelphia with those ideas in mind. That's not necessarily how Hillary wants to get things done.
0: All right. Well, Rick, we've got to take one more quick break, and we're going to come back with your interview with the filmmaker behind the Anthony Weiner – documentary
1: hey this is abc's dan harris i hope you're enjoying john carl's podcast i got a recommendation for an even better one it's my podcast it's called 10 percent happier i'm just kidding it's not better than john's podcast john's superior to me in every possible way but if you want to hear more from abc news folks you can listen to my podcast 10 percent happier or lots of other abc news podcasts if you go to
0: ABCnewspodcast.com or to the apple podcast store you just gotta love the guy, right?
1: We're still letting him talk trash on our podcast. What is that about? We, don't we have don't we also got to say on the promos that we get to run. This? <laughs> let's talk to our producer.
0: We love this. Dan Harris. I mean, Let's just be clear. He's he's he's. 10% better than both of us, agreed, man. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Uh, all right, take it away, Rick.
1: Sure, yeah. So this this film is called Wiener, uh, and go you know run, don't walk, to go see it. If you're into politics at all, and if you're listening to this podcast, you definitely are. You want to see this film. It takes you from the, the time that Anthony Wiener began his comeback. I should mention that there were a couple of John Carl cameos in it because they take some news coverage from the time, the interview that you did with uh, Anthony Wiener in his office after the first scandal broke. This picks things up when he launched his campaign for mayor, and it looked like it might be a successful campaign for mayor. Uh, and he and his wife, Huma Abedin made a decision to allow the filmmakers, Josh Krigman and Elise Steinberg, to follow them around. And Josh, who is a, a former aide to Anthony Weiner, um, was, was there for all of it, the good, the bad, and the very, very ugly. So even as this campaign for mayor took a, a, a tawdry turn for the worse, he was there to capture some of the most revealing and intimate moments you will ever see in, uh, in covering politics. So the kind of stuff, John, that you and I only speculate about normally, the way the candidates talk to each other, the way they talk to donors the way that they're strategizing for media appearances it's all there and i had a chance to talk to to josh and elise about this film
4: so let's start with how this film came to be because i was just blown away by the access yeah well i actually met anthony while working for him in, in politics i was his chief of staff in his district for a couple of years when he was in congress and so that's how i got to know him was through the political work and then i left politics and moved into filmmaking elise and i started working together um, and it was, that was when he had his scandal and resigned from Congress, and that's when we approached him with this idea of making a documentary. And it was really an idea that we went back and forth with him for a couple of years talking about whether he would want to let us in to, to film him, to tell a story that might get beyond the punchline version that he became through the course of his scandal. And then it was when he decided to run for mayor of New York City two years after he resigned uh, that he agreed to let us in, and we started filming from the day the, the campaign began to the end of the election.
1: And uh, th- th- it, be- it starts as one kind of story, it seems to me, a-, a story of a comeback and potential redemption, and then becomes something much different when those famous the second round of women and pictures uh, emerge. but you didn't get kicked out the whole time.
5: yeah, I mean I think um, one of the things that you're asking is why did he allow us to film and it's a question that we wondered about ourselves and Um, and it's a question that we pose in the film and Anthony does answer when he says that he wanted to be viewed as the full person that he was and that was our intention in the film to take somebody who had just been reduced to a caricature and offer a more nuanced and multifaceted look.
4: You know, our intention throughout, um, you know, at first we thought we might be capturing this incredible comeback story and then it became something else but our intention really was to show the humanity behind the headlines.
1: It strikes me that this might have been the perfect tabloid story. It's New York City. You've got the New York Post and the New York Daily News that are geared for it. His name is Weiner, as he talks about probably playing a role. The nature of the story, the photos, the denials, his own personality, his wife being someone so prominent, What did you learn through this, and what are you trying to convey about the intersection of media and politics?
5: That's exactly right. I mean, for us, this film is about more than one person or one campaign. It provides a look at how our politics today is driven by entertainment and appetite for spectacle. And we don't have to look very far to see that being played out in our current presidential race with Donald Trump.
1: Do you think there's there's kind of echoes of that. This was done before that, but echoes you're seeing in the Trump campaign, the way it's covered and the way that he manipulates media?
5: Absolutely. Uh, Josh and I, we've been talking about it a lot. I mean, where while I think Anthony and Trump are very different politically and personally, I do think that they both understood that in order to have a voice in today's 24-hour news cycle, you need to put on a show. And by being brash and having an air of authenticity, you can get votes and get attention. So we really think that our film And we want it to be a part of the conversation we're having about how our media and politics functions today.
4: That's right. I mean, one of the things about Anthony even before his scandal, um, ironically, he was very good at, at, at the media. He's very good at using social media, YouTube, Twitter. You know, understanding how to mix it up on cable news in ways that went viral. You know, that was one of his signature strengths: was understanding how to use media um, to amplify his voice in the service of his agenda. And of course, you see a similar uh, kind of thing, kind of dynamic playing out with somebody like Donald Trump.
5: But again, our hope is that this film can be relevant about how our media and politics functions today.
4: And I have to say, I think that the the film has more to say about the phenomenon of Trump uh, than anything else. You know, as Elise was saying, you know, this idea of how much our political conversation today really is driven by spectacle and sensationalism. You know, in Anthony's campaign, you see his almost desperate effort to get past the scandal to talk about what he really wanted to talk about, which was ultimately issues. You know, he is a bit of a policy wonk, and that is what he wanted to talk about, uh, and he and he couldn't do it. And I think that you know that shows us a little bit about how our political conversation fun- functions today.
1: So, John, I'll tell you, I think the Clinton campaign is hoping that Donald Trump doesn't find a way to, to view this film because there is a lot of Huma Abedin in it. Her eyes alone tell so much of the story. And even though Hillary Clinton isn't a direct character, you can't help but watch this and not think about the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Hillary Clinton inner circle.
0: I can't imagine that Donald Trump would get personal in any way like that. He would I don't never know tweet it. I don't, I don't know what you're implying, <laughs> Rick. All right, that's all the time we have. Thanks for listening to the Powerhouse Politics Podcast. Subscribe to us uh, on iTunes, write a review, give us a good rating, and we'll see you again next week.